The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks a bull rush is what happens when he walks by the neighbor's pit. That's Lenny. He's not afraid of the pit. I'm a little bit afraid. Uh, I'm Mina Kimes, and I am so happy to be joined today. We are trying to predict the top 10 defenses in the NFL by a first-time guest, longtime friend. Well, not that long, but I've known you for a little bit. Uh, 11-year NFL veteran, one of the hosts of Canty and Carlin, Chris Canty. Welcome to the show. Mina, thanks for having me. One of the best and brightest football minds in terms of breaking the game down. It is, uh, it's awesome to be able to jump on here with you and talk about the top 10 defenses coming up this year. Dude, this list was hard to make. Uh, let's start by saying that I, last week, if you guys missed the pod, Field Yates and I broke down or tried to predict rather the top 10 offenses a lot easier. Tons of overlap. We almost had identical lists. We started out with the same four offenses. I don't think that's going to happen today because I just speaking for myself, Chris, I went back and forth on these defenses like a zillion times. I don't know why it was so difficult. I don't know. What was your experience in putting together your top 10? Well, a, a big part of my top 10 is just trying to predict what the offenses are going to be like that complement these defensive units. And to me, that's huge because as a former defensive player, I understand like how time of possession, how limiting possessions, field position impact what you're going to do defensively. Also, score in the game is also going to dictate the complexion of, of what ends up happening, what offenses are capable of doing. If you got an offense that you're playing with that's that's going up double digits, well, then you're going to be playing the pass a whole lot, and that favors a lot of defenses that are in my top ten because overwhelmingly we're starting to see pass rush and pass coverage be a focal point when it comes to putting these units together. Oh, a, a thousand percent. That's going to come up a lot. Uh, there's definitely a theme with my list in terms of coverage, and and, and also I think a theme, where, to your point, there, a few of them are odd teams where I expect the offenses to improve this year and for the defenses to benefit from that. Um, so just to recap last year, uh, my predictions were not great. <laughs> Some of them were okay, uh, but I, I hold myself accountable on the show. I'll read them really quickly. Uh, Bills. Okay. Packers, maybe the single worst prediction I made uh, ahead of last year's NFL season. I've taken a lot of shit on the internet, deservedly so. Although I maintain that that defense and I think you might agree with me, Chris, they should be so much better than they are from a talent perspective. It's like coaching, execution, whatever. Spoiler alert, they're not on my list this year. Bucks, some injuries, <laughs> Saints, good, Niners, good, Broncos, good, Rams, some injuries, Eagles, good, Dolphins, uh, we'll talk about in depth. I think maybe both of us will. I definitely will. Uh, and then the Ravens, who really peaked as the year went on. Uh, so last year, just to, before we get started, here were the top 10 defenses weighted DBA. So basically defenses that were playing really good as the year went along. The Patriots, which incredible. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about them. Mm-hmm. Niners, no surprise. Jets, uh, Saints, Ravens, Cowboys, Commanders, surprising. Bills, Eagles, and then the Steelers uh, squeaked in at the end there. Um, so yeah. That's that was the list. A lot of those teams are on my list this year, uh, you know, to pick up where they left off. Um, so I'm going to go. We're going to go kind of p- do the first five, take a break and then do the second five. Okay. Uh, I'm going to tell you my number one and then I want to hear your number one and then let's get into it. Are you ready? All ready. Let's do it. OK. So let me start by saying I viewed there being as a clear one, two. I, I thought there was a very uh, – my my feeling was like I believe there are two defenses that are the best in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. I went back and forth a lot on the order in which these defenses should be. In the end, I put the San Francisco 49ers at number one. Chris, <laughs> who is your number one defense? San Francisco Why are you laughing? San okay, Francisco good. Oh, that makes me feel so much better. Yeah, yeah. they've got okay. the, the defensive player of the year, the San Francisco 49ers, yeah. Um, so my number two defense, I'll just kind of, I want to talk about the Niners. I don't want to jump ahead, but I really considered putting the Cowboys at two. Really? Okay. I'm yes. Not as I'm very I'm not, high. I'm not as bullish. Even though I love Michael Parsons, I think he's the best defensive player, the best defensive weapon 
in all of football. I'm just not buying into their defense. And a big part of it is not their defensive coordinator, their overall scheme, but what their head coach is talking about from a football philosophy standpoint. Oh, God. We got time today for the Dallas Cowboys because I'm going to go up and in on them. The every time I try to hype the Cowboys on ESPN programming, like, and because I think their roster is so good, I'm higher in Dak Prescott than most. And I'm going to talk about how good the defensive depth chart is. But every time I do that, there's a voice in my head that's like Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy. Like it's it it remains a concern of mine. I am hoping that Dan Quinn continues to have you know, uh, total control over this defense. But let's talk about the Niners first, and then we'll get to your number two team, and we'll talk about the the, the Cowboys as well. Um, so I guess I'll just kind of start by refreshing. Uh, not a lot of change other than the fact that they brought in one of the best pass-rushing defensive tackles in football, Javon Hargrave, making an already outrageous four-man front even more outrageous. Best linebacking duo in football, in my opinion, in Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner is the best linebacker football. They did lose uh, Al Shayer, which is, you know, it's depth, but not yeah. a huge concern. Um, I thought Tavarius Ward was excellent last year. Everything they could have hoped for at corner. Corner is still like a little bit of an issue uh, because a- after him, it's not the greatest group, but... I still think it does. It didn't seem to matter a lot last year. Who was who else was playing cornerback? Um, I guess the only other concern, or not concern, but one question is they did lose a guy who I thought was you know one of the best defensive coordinators in football, and D'Amico Ryan's. But you do bring in Steve Wilkes, who is about as good of a hire as it gets. Uh, so I'm not terribly concerned about them on that front. Yeah. For you, why were they un- clearly your number one defense? Well, they were clearly my number one just because you have two guys that are absolute game wreckers in your front seven in Nicky Bosa and Fred Warner. And the range that Fred Warner plays with, I mean, he's a great guy in terms of being able to get downhill against the run. He can go from sideline to sideline, but he also has the athleticism and the skill set to run the deep middle if you want to play Tampa 2, split safety coverages, all of those different things. So I just think there's a tremendous amount of versatility that he gives you for an off-the-ball linebacker. And then You talked about the defensive front. I love the idea of bringing in Hargrave as a chance to offset the bust that was Javon Kinlaw, former first-round pass that didn't pan out. Uh, I guess my my concern would be a complimentary rusher opposite of Nicky Bosa. I mean, they did lose some depth when it came to edge pass rush, um, some guys that left in free agency. So we'll see what happens, whether or not Drake Jackson can develop. That will be my area's biggest concern, not the secondary. but on the whole, this is a unit that's played together for a really long time, and I think that there's a lot of upside when it comes to some of their key cogs. Yeah, the the depth on the defensive line is always funny because um, I think it, I coined it uh, Chris Kosurik's school for wayward boys because it's like they'll pick up any like veteran and then they have you know an eight sack season. It doesn't seem to matter. Um, and the one that caught my eye was they signed Cleveland Furl, which mm-hmm. totally flew under the radar. Yes, on any is. other team, I don't think I would care, but watch him just dominate on the Niners defensive line because that just seems to happen constantly. Um, the Hargrave signing was kind of cool, like kind of interesting because it took a lot of people by surprise, right? Like everyone mm-hmm. assumed that Hargrave was going to be the highest or one of the highest free agents in the offseason after putting together a really all pro level season in Philadelphia. But I don't think anyone looked at San Francisco and said, yeah, they're going to spend a lot of money on their defensive line. It's kind of like, I don't know, putting fudge on a brownie. Like it's already a lot of chocolate. You know, it's like already delicious. Like, you know, uh, but I do think that Chris, and I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this coming off of that game against Philadelphia, where the interior of that defensive line just got utterly bullied including Javon Kinlaw. <laughs> um, yeah. I do wonder if they thought, okay, we're a Super Bowl team. We're going to play Philadelphia again. Let's make sure that, you know, what is a strength gets even stronger because we know the, you know, act- the approach and the identity and makeup of our greatest foe in the NFC. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it's it's San Francisco, Philadelphia, and everybody else in the conference. There There is a clear... Um, delineation between where they're at in terms of class and competition as opposed to 
um, the rest of the teams. And, and, and the thing that I would say about San Francisco from a scheme standpoint, matching up against Philly's offense, is that you're going to have to be able to win and stop the run with six and a half guys in your nickel front. Yeah. Like you're going to have to play nickel against those guys because they have those talented pass catchers and A.J. Brown and uh, uh, um, Devontae, I uh, forget his name. Smith, yeah. Uh, yeah, Devontae Smith. And, and, you know, you're going to have to deal with those guys. And, and so if you don't have a plan to be able to deal with those guys in your sub packages, then you're going to have a problem. So if you, you're going to need to be able to play five defensive backs. And if you do, then how are you going to stop the zone read scheme with Jalen Hurts? Like that becomes your biggest challenge. So I think adding Javon Hargrave is, is going to be big for them in terms of being able to stop the run with a six and a half man box. So you got your two off the ball linebackers, you got your nickel, nickel out there that's going to have to be a run support player. That's what you're looking at. That's what you have to do if you're San Francisco. And so I think them being able to shore up the interior of that defensive front goes a long ways to them being able to slow down the run game for the Philadelphia Eagles, especially playing in the subpacks. What you just said, I think, is a theme with this list and with being an elite defense or a very good defense in the NFL in 2023 is can you stop the run with light boxes? There's like a couple things you got to do to be on this tier and to, to, to play, you know, these these just outrageous mobile quarterbacks and these option attacks and whatnot. And, and these guys, these mutants who can just throw all over the field. Um, you got to have that ability. And, and I do think, yeah, a lot of them do. Okay. Wait. So before we get to the Cowboys, you tell me who your number two defense is. And then I'll tell you where I have them on my list. Cause I'm sure. My number two defense is Philadelphia. Wow. Okay. You're higher on them than me. Okay. I, I had them actually at six. Okay. Uh, so it's still high, but, yeah. um, okay. So we'll, I'll start with the recap. Philadelphia, uh, Hargrave's out. Jalen Carter's in, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise the defensive front is largely the same. Um, cornerback group is mostly the same. You lose CG Garter Johnson linebacker is a big question mark, but it was a big question. mark. I mean, you know, going into last season, I think this was the concern of the team, and then I would say safety is a little bit of a question mark. And Chris, I'll just start there. That's kind of why I, I ding them a little bit is I was just like, ah, there's just two areas on this defense. Don't really know. Um, but you don't, it, you know, Dominique Foxworth, my um, podcast partner during the season, every time I would complain about Philadelphia's run defense, he, he would just be like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, so I guess let's just start there. Like, are you worried at all about linebacker being a question mark or safety? No, I'm not worried about linebacker being a question mark because they've got big guys in front of those linebackers. I, I get it. I mean, the Dean is largely unproven. So is Nicholas Morrow, but you have Fletcher Cox, the combination of Fletcher Cox, Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis in front of them. I mean, you're talking about two guys taking up three every single Your linebackers that are off the ball, they can run and hit, which is why I love Philadelphia. Now, the safety mm-hmm. area is a bit of a concern. I don't love the athleticism or lack thereof of Reed Blankenship, but they did draft Sidney Brown out of Illinois in the third round. I thought he could have went in the second round. I'm, I'm excited about what he's going to be at the next level. I mean, you pair him with Terrell Edmonds guy who things didn't work out for in Pittsburgh, but you're hoping change of environment, yeah. former first-round pick with the pedigree, um, that he can blend in with a veteran-led group in that secondary behind Darius Slay and James Bradbury. So I, I'm optimistic that the secondary will take shape as the season goes on. This is a group that's going to be a lot better in November and December than they are in September and October. And I think having that veteran presence in the rooms with those young guys is going to go a long ways to them turning into the players they need them to be once we get to the postseason. So Eagles fans um, hated their defensive coordinator. I feel comfortable saying, like, they complained, like, losing Shane Steichen on offense coordinator, they were like, oh, no, this is, this is horrible. Jonathan Gannon leaving, he was really, like, public enemy number one in Philadelphia, um, which, yeah. And I've, I think it maybe it was a little bit, overblown but I do believe a lot of that stemmed from the fact that as good as talented as this defense was as deep and relentless as the pass rush was um 
they did get diced up by good quarterbacks a bit as the year went on, of course, culminating in the Super Bowl where Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy kind of ate his lunch with the motion stuff and all that. So they have a new defensive coordinator, Sean Tesai, who um, is from the Vic Fangio tree. But I, I think the hope, and, I, and, and, and you can tell me what you think, is that the defense is a little bit less static, maybe a little bit more aggressive, maybe mixing up coverages more, showing zone, playing man. And do you, like, I guess, do you think that it's a possibility that with different coaching, this defense could be better than they were at the end of last season? Yeah, I think relatability is a big part of coaching. I mean, that's that's one of the aspects of the job that not a lot of people talk about. Folks focus on the X's and O's of it. And I just think communicating and relating to your players matters. All you need to know is that that soundbite from Jonathan Gannon talking to Rondell Moore, talking about all the gadgets, plays that he had for him and doing the choo 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 sound effects. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Now, Shane Desai, Sean Desai, you know, assistant head coach up in Seattle last year. From all accounts, players like him. And so you're hoping that, you know, that, I guess, rapport that he's able to establish can go a long ways. Again, it's hard to quantify the impact of coaching, especially year over year. But you're hoping that the relatability aspect of your defensive coordinator, coupled with another year of seasoning with this group and having the experience of playing with one another, is going to translate to them having a lot of sex of success. Another thing that you have to think about with the Eagles defense is that this team is going to be playing with the lead a lot because yes. of how yeah. their offense is. So again, yeah. look at the team that led the league in first half scoring last year, you got to imagine playing the pass a lot, allowing those front guys to tee off and they're eight deep in that group. Mm-hmm. I, I got to believe that it's going to lead to really good things in that defense, putting up really good numbers. Which takes us back to Dominique's point. Does it matter if Nicobe Dean can tackle? Um, yeah, no, I'm with you. I had the Eagles offense like very high, right? Uh, two. So uh, yeah. they will be play- I do believe they'll be playing with a lot of leads. And, uh, you know, D- Desai, um, I talked to some CX players about him. They all described him as a great teacher. And I think that'll matter because this is a- as much continuity as there is. We are talking about some young players starting Carter. You know, yeah. it has to contribute immediately. This isn't like last year where the young players kind of red shirt. Now you need some of those young players to contribute immediately. The Kobe Dean's got to play, you know, so we'll see how it goes. So before I get well, to why I had the Cowboys too. Guys that he's going to be out there with. <laughs> I mean, they got yeah. all the Georgia I mean, Bulldogs on that defense, right? Oh, well, at some point, those Georgia Bulldogs got to pay off, man, on defense. Yeah. Some of these draft picks. So yeah, where do you the Cowboys? Yeah, they do. So I've got the Dallas Cowboys on my list. Let me make sure I got it right. I've got the Cowboys seventh on my list. Okay. Okay, okay. they're on your list. All right. So we're kind of flip-flopped here with the NFC. Well, no the Dallas Cowboys, but, but here's what bothers me about them. This is a Get, defense that's led the league in, ter- in takeaways the last two years. Now, the last time we saw a defense lead the league in back-to-back years in takeaways was the 73-74 Pittsburgh Steelers, the Steel Curtain. That was a defense that had five All-of-Famers and three guys that won Defensive Player of the Year. Do I think the Dallas Cowboys defense is capable of doing that or playing up to that level? Yeah. I don't, and you're you're honestly going to need them to if the quarterback is going to continue to turn the ball over at the rate that we've seen. I don't think he will. Well, you're hoping that he won't, but the best indicator for future performance is past performance. In the he, last didn't throw, he didn't throw a lot of turnover the ball on in the past. It's like a yeah, one year. Yeah. Okay, we're not going to do Dak. We're not going to do Dak on this podcast. We're not going to do Dak, but I do have to say this. The last 31 games he's played in, he's turned the ball over 35 times. Yeah. So that's not that's um, So Okay, all, so I will, let's hit your point about turnovers, though, because no, that's a really good point, because yeah. typically when a defense is too dependent on turnovers, that does not bode well for the next season. Yeah. And in fact, Chris, it's actually why last year I was like, uh, this Cowboys defense too dependent on turnovers. Trevon Diggs actually wasn't that great in coverage year one. He's just getting a lot of picks. And then year two, they really surprised me because I thought I, they, they were just, I, for Diggs, for example, I thought was a much more fundamentally sound player in year two, even though he didn't have maybe, you know, the sexy interceptions. But I just think this Cowboys defense, which finished second in DVOA, third in EPA per play, second in pass rush win, first in pressure rate, 
Um, the difference, I, I, I was curious about this, between them and the set number two team in pressure rate was the difference between the number two and the number 12 team. And they were so good without blitzing. They're just so, the roster's so good. So like up front, uh, Micah Parsons, you alluded to incredible, still a burgeoning player who like became a pass rusher two years ago. But I think he's so good that we actually kind of sleep on Demarcus Lawrence's continued excellence. And he has such a, He's so good against the run. He's such a complete edge player, not just a rusher. Um, they did what I wanted. They got a run-stuffing defensive tackle. We'll see, you know, yeah. how, how it goes with Monty Smith. Mm-hmm. Linebacker, bit of a question mark. You know, uh, LV bounced back a little bit, but he's not one of the better linebackers in the NFL. But behind them, I just really like this secondary. I loved the trade for Stephon Gilmore. I thought it was such a low risk trade for a player who really fits what they do, which is play a ton of man coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so now suddenly you're looking at this group and, and they're pretty deep, honestly, with him yes. digs behind them. They have young players. I thought Duran Bland showed some great stuff at the end of the year. And one of my favorite things about this Cowboys defense, and this goes to what you were talking about, about pass rush and coverage Last year, I think they really hit on something with all the dime personnel they were using. Uh, they were in dime personnel, fourth most of any team, the team that was the most we'll talk about in a second. And when they did have three safeties on the field, they averaged negative 0.22 EPA per play, which is crazy, a QBR yeah. of 29. They were awesome. I, I just still remember down the stretch seeing, you know, Jaron Curse in the box, Donovan Wilson, Mukua, like these players I hadn't heard of, Um, and and I really think it gives them such unique flexibility from a coverage standpoint against some of these offenses that are going to come out throwing all over the yard. Well, it does, but that's the part that worries me when it comes to Mike McCarthy. Will he lean into that? Because remember, he fired offensive coordinator Kellen Moore because he said their offensive coordinator was trying to light up the scoreboard, and he wants to run the ball more to protect his defense and let them take a break. Well, over the last two years, the Dallas Cowboys have the best win percentage in all of football when having a lead at any point in the game. At any point in the game. You got rid of the offensive coordinator, and your team had the best winning percentage when having a lead at any point in the game. It's absolutely asinine that Mike McCarthy would make that decision. And so if you're going to play closer contested games because you're running the football more – that actually, I don't know, takes some bullets out of your gun when it comes to what your defense does the best, which is rush the quarterback. So I don't love the direction that Mike McCarthy seemingly wants to take the offense because he's not leaning into his best players, which are on the defensive side of the ball. My hope is that Mike McCarthy recognizes that this team was lucky to keep Dan Quinn because um, the job that dude has done uh, and I and I've talked a lot about how just like he's impressed me so much over the last two years. Two years the way he's evolved, Chris, from you know his Seattle and Atlanta days as a play caller. This defense looks so different from the defenses he called back in Seattle and and in Atlanta. So, um, you know, I, I would be a little bit more worried if it was someone other than Dan Quinn at the helm, but. That dude is running the show in Dallas, and I think he's like, I mean, what is your feeling about Quinn as a, as a coordinator? I love Dan Quinn. I, I love what he, what he does. I, I think he's better in the coordinator role than the head coaching role. But, I mean, the way he's been able to transform this defense and getting these guys to buy in on focusing on takeaways, it's just a tremendous job. I mean, to think about this Cowboys defense, where they're at now, as opposed to three years ago, I remember yeah. that Cleveland Browns game where the Browns ran the ball for 300 yards. Like, that that's not what this Cowboys defense is anymore. They focus on negative plays. They take the ball away. Um, and you've got Michael Parsons that's just out there flying around. And the way that they deploy him, I think Dan Quinn finds a lot of different creative ways to use him. And I think that's only going to be even more so this upcoming year. Hearing some of the reports about Parsons, how he's gained a little weight, but he hadn't lost his explosiveness. I just think it's going to – the versatility that he gives you and now, you know, improving on his overall knowledge base is just going to make yeah. him that much more of a weapon on that side of the ball and make that defense that much more 
of a threat in terms of impact in the game. He's so good. He's really crazy. I mean, he's He's so good. I I know this is high praise, but I said it a year ago and I'm going to stand by it now. I mean, we haven't seen anything like it since Lawrence Taylor. We we haven't seen like Michael Parsons since Lawrence Taylor. It's, it's in that. It's wild. It's crazy, and it's only beginning. All right, who do you have as your number three defense? All right, number three defense on the list. Got to pull up my list here. Um, Okay, so we have the New York Jets. Number three defense. Yeah, New York Jets. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I have the Jets at five, and I could have had them at three. Basically, my three, four, five, I kept switching a million times. um, Okay. But – I, I, I totally – having them at three makes a ton of sense. So, um, I mean, we I think we should start by acknowledging the thing you said at the very beginning about offenses. So, last year, the Jets had – the defense had the worst – second worst, pardon me, to the Cardinals, starting field position of any defense in the entire NFL. I, can you speak to – kind of – you start you talked about this at the beginning, but how much it affects a defense – when you have an absolute train wreck on offense and then having that transition, hopefully, uh, this year, like how much that affects just everything that you do? Well, the goal of a defense is to make an offense one-dimensional, right? Uh, I mean, if, if you've got to try to to win the war on two fronts, it's probably not going to work out for you. So that that's the challenge when you have such inept quarterback play, and that's what the Jets have been dealing with the last couple of years. I mean, it just you have to defend so much. A, a coach has an entire playbook at his disposal through the entirety of the game. And so I think just from the standpoint of being able to dominate a game or take over a game, it makes it that much harder, which is why I'm so impressed with what the Jets were able to do last year under Sala. Like, it's just the transformation that we've seen that defense go through the swag that those guys play with. I mean, listen, the New York Jets and this group is not going to – people are not going to pay attention to the other guy in, in their cornerback room as much as they're going to pay attention to Sauce Gardner. But DJ Reed had a damn good season good. last year. And you're He's talking about the top corner tandems in the entire National Football League. And then you consider having all pro players on all three levels and C.J. Mosley at the linebacking core and Quentin Williams up front. I mean, this group is 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 scary. And then they added a pass rusher in the first round of this draft and Will McDonald. They added a pass rusher in the first round two years ago and Jermaine Johnson. Like they're they're getting Carl Lawson back on a discounted rate. Like they just keep adding to their yeah. defensive front. And, and this group is going to be able to come at you in waves as well with the pass rush. And any any defense when you start talking about contending at the championship level, you got to be able to rush the passer. So again. Russian coverage being able to work together, but now being able to have quarterback play that's not at the bottom of the league. <laughs> I mean, if you could just have average quarterback play, you're talking about a defense that can take another huge step in 2023. Yeah, at the end of the season, the four man rush was just dominating. Um, and it was kind of interesting because outside of Quinn Williams, it's not really like stars, you know, they're really good players. But, um, you know, Lawson's good, but I don't think anyone would have him even in the top 20 amongst edge rushers, I would say. Um, We'll see what they got in Johnson. They have, like, guys situationally. Like, Bryce Huff was, like, great for them as a situational pass rusher. But it it, it is more that sort of, like, they, they play really well together and they're so deep. And it's an interesting... it's an interesting group from a team building perspective where it's like, okay, your superstar is your, your three tech, but then you've got a lot of good players around him. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, it is interesting, but I do think they also of course benefit from what you just said at the top, which is they probably have one of the three best cornerback tandems in the NFL right now. Um, And it's really hard. Like if you have that, it's just so easy, not easy, but like, it just makes everything so much simpler from a game planning perspective. Just knowing that you can, you have two corners who who can shut down guys. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really high on them. I think the only question I have is like safety is an issue. They lose Chuck Clark. They bring in Adrian Amos. That's yeah. prob- that would be the one weakness on this team. 
Um, and then CJ Mosley did bounce back last year, but you know, the, I wouldn't say they're one of the, the, the better linebacking groups in the NFL, but again, uh, thematically pass rush coverage. So <laughs> cornerback yes. and edge rusher, there's a reason why they pay them so much. Okay. I have kind of a crazy team for numbers. I don't know. I'm just so obsessed with this defense and I don't, I, I know it's, well, it's really not crazy when you look at last year's stats because they actually I, did finish like incredibly high. I think the Patriots defense is so good, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I've got. I got. Are they in your top ten? I've got them fifth. Great. I got them fifth. I got a lot. I got a bank full of respect for the Patriots defense. I mean, they were second in defense last year. I mean, they only got better. They had the most touchdowns of any defense. I think they had seven touchdowns on defense last year. The next closest team had five. It it, it was absolutely incredible, and just seeing what they did this offseason, I. I absolutely love the Patriots draft. I know a lot of people don't like Bill Belichick oh, draft. I love from I love the defensive players. I mean, Christian Gonzalez, I, I think he, he was the second best corner in this draft behind Devin Witherspoon. But I, I think he's going to be a phenomenal player. I love Keon White, who's that classic, you know, three. I mean, that, that classic stack defensive end. You're, you're talking about an odd front defensive end. Reminds you a little bit of Richard Seymour in terms of the athleticism, yeah. maybe not but the athleticism. And then Mapu, Marte Mapu from, from Sacramento State. Like, this is a guy that's more of a tweener. He's gotten reps at safety and at linebacker in OTAs and minicamp. But, I mean, just a guy that, that's going to fly all over the place. He won Defensive Player of the Year in the Big Sky Conference, but he has a lot of range and a lot of versatility as a player. And he fits exactly what Bill Belichick wants to do in the back end of his defense, the back seven. You're not going to know what these guys' roles are just based on the jersey. Yes. A lot of guys can do a lot of different things. And so that that lends itself to being able to disguise. And uh, Again, I think they added more juice on their defensive line. So, again, rushing, rushing coverage working together. But I would say on this particular defense, it's led by the coverage, which aids 100%. It, you are speaking my love language when you talk about these tweeners and how you never know what's happening. I... I said this on NFL Live and I was like, it might be a little bit much, but I compared them to the Niners on offense in a way where freaking there's like four or five, there are safeties, I guess, or linebackers, but who the hell knows? Like they might be blitzing. They might be playing in the box. They might be playing in the post. They have so many of these dudes uh, who are defenses always talk about how they want to be multiple, but the Patriots are like living it and building it in a way that I think is so modern uh, and allows them to dictate to offenses rather than being reactive. And it's so cool. I mean, they they play the most dime of any team in the NFL a lot. 28%. That's so much. Um, Kyle Duggar might be my favorite player in the NFL, to be honest, yeah. uh, just because I just love watching that dude play. But um, so everything coming out of camp, I'm like, I wasn't there about Mapu, is that he, they just they got another one to yeah. – flies around uh <laughs> gonzalez they needed size at corner you know that was the one thing i you know i thought was a kind of an issue for them at times last year a guy who can actually cover big number ones and mm-hmm. i loved him as a prospect i don't know i think Jack jones going through what he's going through on a legal front yes christian gonzalez is even more important because you're talking about jones maybe not being available at the start of the season because of a violation of personal conduct policy so we'll see and, and and by the way, one more thing on the Pats defense, to the point you made, this is one of the teams where I'm like, if the offense is just average, they're not going to be yes. in as awful uh, situations as they well, were last should, year. Well, it should okay. be average because they actually have a real offensive coordinator this year and not a defensive yeah. coordinator masquerading as one. Yeah. I think they will. I do. I, I, I don't think they're going to be great, but I do think that, that I mean, it can't be worse, right? Okay, so we both have one more team in the top five. This is my number four team. I think we heard your one, two, three. So would this be your and four five. team? or? Yeah, this is this next one is my four team, yeah. Okay. Yes. I've, I've, I've got the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, they're on my list uh, later. So, okay. so far, we all, we've had all teams that are on each other's list. They're just in different orders. Mm-hmm. Um. I am so excited to hear you talk about this Ravens defense because I never shut up about them at the end of last season. Um, I feel like I talk about their games against Joe Burrow like so much it should be illegal. So you please tell us why you're high on this Ravens defense. And, and, and I would also love to hear what you saw from them last year that made you optimistic. 
Well, I mean, what we saw in the second half after they traded for Roquan Swift. I mean, through the first eight weeks of the season, you're talking about a defense that was 20th in points allowed and 24th in yards. After they made the trade for Roquan, um, since week nine, they were second in points allowed and third in total yards. So, I mean, you see the transformation there. And you're talking about a lot of those games with Roquan Swift being played without Lamar Jackson at quarterback. So, really having no cushion, no margin for error, and yet that defense showed up and continued to deliver. Hell, they gave the Cincinnati Bengals all they wanted in that, that playoff game. I mean, you're talking about a turnover in the red zone away from the Ravens being able to pull off an upset against the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that was that was back in the AFC Championship game this year. So I just – I really love what the Baltimore Ravens are doing on the defensive side of the ball. If I were to point to one area of concern, I would say depth at the cornerback spot. There are some free agent guys they're still going to be looking at, but I, I like what they have uh, in their front seven. A lot of people are going to point to their edge pass rusher situation. I'm not as worried about it as a lot of people are. You're not. No, I okay. love Trey Oway. I, I think he's he's got he's got uh, star potential in him. I think he's a really 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 good young young player. Um, I love the potential of David Ajabo. We'll see what happens with that. Tyus Bowles yeah. there. Um, I'm not as concerned about. And then. What, what the Baltimore Ravens love to do is they love to use their off-the-ball linebackers on run-through. So you'll see a lot of Roquan Smith or a lot of Patrick Queen adding on into the rush. They'll be green-dogging. So I, I, I don't worry about them being able to get after the passer. What I do worry about is their depth on the outside at corner. We'll see what happens. I know they're watching the free agent market at corner and seeing what develops and, and, and whether or not they can get certain guys, certain veterans. But I, I, I like the Baltimore Ravens defense a whole lot. I think they're going to take that, that next step and get back to playing defense the way that folks know Baltimore Ravens typically like to do. I think Marcus Peters is still free agent, if I remember correctly. I don't think he signed anywhere unless I missed it. So, yeah, that's an interesting thing to monitor. I, I, I thought Rock, I think Rocky Sin would be good. I think they were talking about you know keeping an eye okay. on what happens with him. So. Uh, so I ended up deeing them because of the pass rush, and I have mixed feelings about it because um, I always joke the, the Ravens seem to like find like you know a thirty eight year old pass rusher every year and get like nine sacks out of him. And Justin Houston, by the way, is still a free agent, uh, who was their best pass rusher last year. Mm-hmm. I like Oa. I just and Ojabo. I feel like one of them has to emerge this year, and. Oh, wait, he's so athletic, and but a lot of his successes have been unblocked. I want to see, like, is this, you know, can he put it all together in terms of, like, the athleticism, the pass rush plan? Can he win on his own? Can he beat double teams? Um, or Ojabo, frankly, one of them. They're both, you know, top picks. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say... I, I think the they re, the defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, did a fantastic job last year. The Roquan Smith, I share your absolute, I think... That was a trade where, like, if any other team had done it, I might have been like, eh, I don't know. Like, it, was this worth it for an off-ball linebacker? But the way they use him, you, you talked about the green dogging and it's just how important it, that, that position is in this offense, the defense, probably. The way he unlocked Patrick Queen allowed him to be free to be more of a heat-seeking missile. It was just magical. So I'm very high on this group. Um, so the second, I promise the second half of this podcast will go past her because we've already talked about some of them. But... Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you my number four defense. This Great might job. be a little bit shocking. I have the Miami Dolphins. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So very hit or miss beginning of the season. Second half of the season, second in yards per play, third in success rate, six in EPA per play, third in eight yards per attempt. When they weren't like, crazily blitzing josh allen uh they were actually they they they, i think they fixed a lot of their problems as the year went on but um for me this is all about the changes that are it's 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 actually let me rephrase that it's not just about the changes because it's one thing to bring in vic fangio and everyone's like Mm -hmm. yeah vic fangio he's really good okay fine but a defensive play caller is nothing unless he has the personnel to execute his philosophy. And Chris, I just think the pieces they have are so perfect for a Vic Fangio defense and were miscast, frankly, before some of them. It In my mind, 
it just makes sense. Not just the guys they've added, Jalen Ramsey, who we've seen play in this kind of defense before. Um, David Long, the linebacker out of Tennessee, I think also makes a ton of sense. But the guys who are already on their roster. So what do we know about Vic's defenses? Light boxes, which we talked about. You're going to see a lot more split safety, uh, less blitzing. So the thing you need starting up front to as we talked about at the beginning, actually execute this uh, sort of light box philosophy is you need defensive tackles who can control more than one gap. Christian mm-hmm. Wilkins, let me tell you, uh, we I, I feel like I don't. ESPN has that run stop win rate, which is yeah. the basically do you beat the blocker, do you push the runner back or whatever. Christian Wilkins first amongst all defensive tackles. Zach Sealer, very underrated defensive tackle, twenty yes, third. So they have yeah. two top dudes in run defense already on this team. So to me, when I think about Vic Fangio coming in, I'm like, absolutely, they could execute what he has. And then I think Jalen Phillips is is like a, on the verge of becoming a star. Cornerback group's really good. I mean, what is not to love about this Dolphins defense? No, there's a lot to love. And that's why I have them in my top 10 too. Um, okay. I actually think I do have them 10th. Um, but okay, but there I- is. <laughs> my thunder a little bit with one of the guys that's unheralded and a lot of people aren't going to pay attention to him. It's Zach Sealer. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. is an absolute animal. He had 70 really tackles last year. For an interior defensive lineman to have 70 tackles, that dude is getting busy. Folks want to focus on the sack numbers because he only had three sacks. Maybe he's not that much of a difference maker. No, look at it. Tackles for loss is always up there. Quarterback hits is always up there. Not to mention he's going to get a lot of stops at the line of scrimmage in the run game. They got the guys to get after the quarterback. I mean, Christian Wilkins gives you a little bit of wiggle as a defensive tackle. But, you know, when you have Bradley Chubb and a guy that you mentioned, Jalen Phillips, who I think is another one of those young pass rushers that has star potential. Like, I just think that this Dolphins defense is absolutely ready to ascend. And another guy that I really love that I'm surprised more people don't talk about him is Javon Holland. I think he's a fantastic young safety and this is a guy that that is going to be Pro Bowl, All Pro moving forward in his career. Like he's just that good. For folks that haven't seen him, trust me, this this guy is going to jump out at you when you watch Dolphins games this year. He's he's unbelievable. I don't have a lot of questions about this Dolphins defense. I think they're going to be good. The only question is for me: Can Vic Fangio implement that scheme? Can they figure that out and hit the ground running? But then. Is the offense going to hold up its end of the bargain with this mm-hmm. defense? Because I, I do worry about the questions around the quarterback's health and how that could potentially impact the give-a-damn meter for the guys on the defensive side of the ball. Like, if you don't have a quarterback, you can't win in this league. And we've seen that Tua has been prone to injury. Uh, if your quarterback takes a significant blow or is mm-hmm. out an extended period of time, I worry about the other side of the ball thrown in the towel. I've been in that situation. I know those vibes in those locker rooms. And so that's the biggest concern I have about this defense, oddly enough. It's not on their defense. It's on their offense. If he's healthy, though, this team is really good. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, they're really yeah. good. I'm right, going to take a quick break. If he's, healthy, if he's healthy, Mina, you're talking about the Miami Dolphins competing with the Kansas City Chiefs for the number one seed in the conference. I, I think I, that I think that's their. I think they're that. I think they can be that good. I came out of doing this where I was like looking at the rosters. I was just like, oh my god, the Dolphins defense is so good. I just, yeah. uh, I'm I'm excited to watch them. All right, let's take a quick break. We got a few more defenses that we haven't gotten to. Some of them are already on our list, and uh, we'll wrap it up. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. 
receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelpline.ma.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, it's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. Okay, we're back. Uh, so I had the Eagles at six. We already talked about them. Who did you mm-hmm. have at six? Buffalo. I've okay, got I have Buffalo, Buffalo at seven. So it's perfect. I've got, I've got Buffalo at six. I mean, it's Can just, we just take a moment for the AFC East, though? Yo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've mentioned all of the defenses in the AFC East already. <laughs> and we're at six. <laughs> it is a hellscape. Yeah. Yeah. It's and I honestly, Chris, I kept changing the orders. I was like putting the Jets first, the Patriots first, the Dolphins. Like I was just, whatever. Okay, so we both have the Buffalo Bills around the same spot. Why don't you start by um, saying why? Because this is a defense that was very banged up last year, but still finished with yeah. very good numbers. No, they finished with outstanding numbers and just beyond the total points and and you know total yards allowed, which they were in the top six in both of them respectively. I, I just looked at, the regular season that they were able to put together, they lost three games this year in the regular season by a total of eight points combined. By eight points, that, that's that's absolutely insane. And when you consider the fact that their quarterback turned the ball over twenty three times in seventeen games, with all of the injuries that they had, that defense was still playing lights out. And that's a tribute to Sean McDermott, their head coach, by yeah. getting those guys and Leslie Frazier too. I don't want to discount him, but the identity that he's been able to forge with that defense, being down two team leaders in those top two safeties and still finding a way um, to push through that, being able to overcome the adversity and the DeMar Hamlin situation, all the emotions around that. Like this team has found a way to to be able to lean on their defensive identity. Um, And I love some of the young pieces that they have up front in that defense. Like I love Greg Rousseau. Um, again, another one of those young pass rushers that's going to be really, really good. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. They re-signed Ed Oliver. I like him as a player. Don't love, but like. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, and Matt Milano, of course, is an all-pro off-the-ball linebacker in the middle of their defense. Like, they have a really good defense. Teron Johnson's a great nickelback corner. I mean, yeah. 
Kyrie Elam is another one of those guys that they hit on in that secondary. Tredavious White being healthy at the start of the year and a full yeah. year removed from that injury. I just think that they have all the ingredients to be a really, really potent defense. Again, I don't think they have the same ceiling as some of the other defenses that we mentioned, but you're talking about their floor being probably higher than a lot of the defenses that we've already mentioned. I think it's a really good way to think about them in terms of floor ceiling because they're just so stable, right? And they're so – they're like just – and this was what you saw last year. They're just such a solid group. Um, You know, they don't blitz a lot. It's a very cover two. They play a lot of cover two. They're kind of like a we-do-what-we-do defense um, for better or worse. I do think that where that ceiling ends up probably depends on what Von Miller looks like coming back from injury. Um, So – you know, I prefer pressure rate to sack rate. Von Miller had the fourth highest pressure rate in the NFL last year before he went down. <laughs> Losing him was devastating to that. I, I like Rousseau, but the four-man rush without Von Miller just was not the same. And they've got a bunch. Yeah. They still have young guys, Basham, Epinesa, whatever. Okay, if this defense great. truly Adam wants to be point. great, mm-hmm. Yeah, they need Von Miller to come back and be himself. I will never bet against that man. He seems to be ageless. He's a master technician, but he is getting up in the years. So I think that's going to be the thing. That worries me more than the loss of Tremaine Edmonds, even though I think he's a really good player. Um, I'd say Von Miller's health is like a bigger question mark for me. with this team. I would agree with that. And, 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 and that's partly why I love the fact that they went out inside and Leonard Floyd. Is Leonard Floyd Von Miller? No. But Leonard Floyd can kind of help them bridge the gap in terms of another veteran that knows how to win one-on-ones and, and can put pressure on a quarterback, has won a championship, understands what that's about. This is the, the team has championship aspirations. I like Leonard Floyd kind of bridging the gap in that first four to six games of the season until Von Miller is back on the field for the Bills. So, um, again, I think they're throwing bodies at the Von Miller problem, which is a good way oh, yeah. for them to – how to approach it, um, but I think they'll end up being fine when it comes to pass rush, especially when it matters in December and on into January. Agree, and 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 for all the reasons you articulated, I do think the defense, the secondary. I mean, they lost freaking Hyde. Um, or wait, was it Poyer or Hyde that they lost? Now I'm losing. Well, both of them missed time last year, but I think it was Poor Hyde with the beginning of the season. Hyde. Yeah. Hyde, yeah. The beginning of the season. It was, I mean, I'm, so, and then White. I mean, it's amazing how good they were despite losing. Like, they were so injured on defense and, and kept up. Yeah. Okay, so so I had them seven. Uh, you had them six. I think seven, you had a team that we already meant, discussed, one of the teams. Yeah, I had the it? Cowboys at seven. Cowboys? Cowboys. Seven. Okay, so eight, I think. We're on eight. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I I don't know if the team I have will be on your list. Okay, I'm listening. I have the Washington Commanders. This so I have them ninth. Interestingly enough, I have them ninth. Okay, yeah. wow. Okay, so there actually is yeah. a lot of crossover on our list. Okay, good. Um, okay, so I want to start by saying the Commanders, like, I feel like nobody talked about the unbelievable turnaround they had on defense last year. Maybe because they were just like a, you know, an irrelevant team to, in the eyes of some because of the offense. Again, I actually think the offense will be better. Um, but this is a defense that finished the season top five in just about every meaningful metric, uh, especially in the second half of the season, they were fantastic and they did all that. Um, the pass rush is stacked. I mean, it's like every player is good on that defensive line and now you get chase young and who knows if he can ever get back to his rookie season, but some chase young is who's a very motivated chase young who, you know, is playing for a contract is better than no chase young. So my feeling is like, well, shoot, if they were already like fourth in pressure rate and top five and just about everything, like now they have this dude who we've seen has incredibly high upside. Um, Don't love the linebackers. Don't need to get into that. Uh, But I thought the secondary, you know, there was a lot of, up and down. I remember, like they signed uh, what's his name, Jackson the third. They, they were, uh, things didn't work out. It took them a while to kind of figure out how under Jack Del Rio. Maybe it took him getting rid of his Twitter account. I don't know, but they figured yes, out what yes. they wanted to do on defense. <laughs> um, I harbor some concerns about um, Emmanuel Forbes being my size, but I do really like him as a player, <laughs> and I think 
<laughs> I, I do think he actually makes a ton of sense for uh, the their style of zone defense. So I don't know, man. Like, they, like, don't you feel like nobody talks about how good they were last year on defense? I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, they've invested in that defensive line, and they've hit on a lot of those guys. So, I mean, and you saw Deron Payne get paid this offseason. He's just the latest in line. They've got Jonathan Allen. They've got Montez Sweat. Again, the Chase Young thing will be interesting, but I think this defense will go as far as their first two draft picks developing will go, will will take them. And, and Emmanuel Forbes and, and Jertavius Martin, another one of those secondary players from Illinois, their first two picks in the yeah. first two rounds of this year's NFL draft, they need those guys to come around and play in short order. Like, I, I know what I'm getting from Kendall Fuller and Cameron Kerr. I need those two guys to step up and play ball, and if they do, then look out because this defense is going to be really good. I don't think it was an outlier that this group went into Philadelphia last year and held yeah. them to 21 points. It's not. They're that good. That's that's the kind of potential that they have because they're led by that defensive front, which is as good totally. as any in all of football when they're all healthy. So to me, yeah. the biggest question on that defense is going to be those two rookies and whether or not they're going to be up to snuff when the season kicks off and games start to really matter. If – Chase Young is even 75% of what he is this rookie season. This is a top two, three, four defensive yeah. front in football. They're yeah. already like, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Like they hit on all of them. And yeah, that, and I think it, it, it'll come down to like some of these younger players, you know, like even I, I know I, I kind of skipped over it, but Jamin Davis was a first round pick. He played a little bit better yep. linebacker. Can he continue to develop? Um, they found Mina, something I Cam Curl. I think the commanders, could end up being the best defense in the NFC East. And yeah. that's 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 high point. They could end up being the best defense in the NFC East. Just depends on whether or not those young players can round into form like you're Dude, talking about. Our entire list is the NFC East and the AFC East. It's crazy. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, you're, I, I, I think it's fair, though, just because of how dominant that front is. Um, okay, so I had the Ravens at nine. We already talked about the Ravens. Who did you have? Did you have a team we already talked about at nine or no? Yeah, well, I had the commanders at nine. You had the, I had commanders, the commanders at nine. At nine. And then you yeah, had a team we talked about at 10. I had Miami, I had Miami, had Miami at, at 10. 10. So the team, okay. that I, the team that I did not mention in my top 10 yet, the Denver Broncos. Where did you have them? I had them eighth. Okay. All right. So I have, I have, oh, I left them off. I, there's like a group of three teams that I put just outside and I, yeah. Wanted to put the Broncos back, and I just I pulled them at the last second. I don't know. Yeah, I, I I like the Denver Broncos defense, and I and I think this defense is going to get a bump because you now have a competent head coach in Sean Payton as opposed to Nathaniel Hackett. I get it. Sean Payton is known as an offensive mind. I understand yeah. that, but we have to keep in mind the last five seasons in New Orleans with Sean Payton. You're talking about a defense that was. Top 10 in total EPA. They were second in time of possession and they were top 10 in total yards and points. So I, I like the the complimentary style of ball that Sean Payton is going to play. Yeah. He's going to keep Russell Wilson away from turnover worthy plays. He's going to run the football contrary to what people think he is. The perception of who Sean Payton is. He wants to hit you in the mouth with the running game. Um, so I think you'll have a heavy dose of that. I think you saw that they want to have more physicality on both sides of the ball with some of the additions they made. Sign Mike McGlinchey on the offensive line. Sign Frank Clark in free agency on the defensive line. And I think Clark, coupled with Randy Gregory, is going to give them a tandem that can put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And that was the only thing that this secondary was really needing yeah. to help them out. Consistent edge pressure. And they're going to have that now with those two guys at full strength. Uh, you know, and they also – I didn't love the contract per se, but Zach Allen's a good player who they signed um, at defensive end. So that was another yeah, thing. Yeah, from Arizona. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I think I'm trying to remember like what pushed me over the edge for not including the Broncos, uh, and I, I think I was a little bit worried because I was seeing reports about. I'm just pulling up to make sure I don't. Yeah. So Baron Browning starting the list camp on pup list. I didn't that. I my concern was pass rush. I agree Clark alleviates to that to some degree, although he's kind of been like not great during the regular season and better in the playoffs. So I don't know where he is. Yeah. Uh, they did lose a Giro Evero, who I thought was fabulous, but they bring in Vance Joseph, who's a very good defensive coordinator. So I, I, I can't fault you on the Broncos. They were right outside. And the team I had at 10, like I don't, 
part of me just kept saying, I like not believing in it, but I'm giving this team my like staying in the top 10 out of respect award. And it's the New Orleans Saints who, okay. In the second half of last season, finished first in yards per play, first in opposing passer rating, first in opposing yards per attempt. It's like, and then I was like, how the hell are they doing this? Because every year they take out, it's like a Jenga tower because of the cap stuff where they'll, they'll take out good, like Marcus Williams is a good, it's not like guys are leaving the Saints and being bad elsewhere. Trey Hendrickson, awesome in Cincinnati. Marcus Williams, so great in, in Baltimore. But they, and, and, and this year, they're losing Onyemata. They're losing Caden Ellis, who was good for them. But it doesn't seem to freaking matter. I, I, I don't, I think it's a combination of things. I think Dennis Allen's a very good defensive coach. I was tweeting about this. I think they have, Demario Davis is like one of the more, most underrated players in the entire NFL and has been good for like eight years and like, like really, really good. Um, Lattimore is still great. Uh, I am a little bit worried about pass rush. They are going to need one of these younger players to step up, whether it's Peyton Turner, Foskey, they drafted, perceives defensive tackle or Cam Jordan. But I don't know, no. man. They just keep getting it done. <laughs> just <sighs> they, they do. They do. And I don't want to disparage the New Orleans Saints or disrespect what they've been able to do, but it's hard to ignore when we're having this conversation the fact that they played in the NFC South and that division is in quarterback purgatory. Like last year, it was awful. Like the combination of Sam Donald and PJ Walker and Baker Mayfield with the Carolina Panthers. And then the Tampa Bay Bucks were absolutely atrocious and, and, and they ended up winning the division. I don't know how that was disgusting, but then you also looked at the Atlanta Falcons and what they were doing at quarterback. I just, it was it was such a low bar to clear when it came to quarterback play in that division. And that's why I had a trouble giving them the nod. Even if you look at some of the opponents that they played outside of the division in the second half of last season, I mean, the Los Angeles Rams, I mean, what the, they were doing. The, the game that half, turned me, the game that turned me, Chris, because I rewatched it for reasons that have nothing to do with the Saints, the Niners, because that Niners offense after they traded for Christian McCaffrey was an absolute buzzsaw and the Niners and the Saints were like the one defense in the NFL that gave them trouble and uh it was 13 to 0 I don't know if you remember and it was just like kind of a disgusting game but they mucked them up and it was so impressive the way that front played in that game was so impressive to me but I don't I mean it's weird the other weird thing is like they did all that despite the fact that they really never got the pass rush going last year Mm -hmm. um they were very injured, though, and then they didn't have any turnovers. So yeah. my feeling is like maybe the luck will go their way. The offense is going to be better this season, too. I don't know. I mean, The oh, Broncos are probably the right answer. I don't know. If this was the NCAA tournament, Mina, the, Bron- the, the Saints would have been my first out. And the Broncos would have uh, – like, like those Broncos, the Commanders, Miami, they were all kind of right there. So – the Saints were on the borderline, but I think the tipping point was the competition overall throughout the entire entirety of it's the fair. season. It's fair. That's why I couldn't, couldn't buy in to the New Orleans Saints, not on what they're going to be this upcoming year. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The other two teams I had as my first out, just to wrap up, um, were the Broncos, the Steelers, uh, and, I, and I had the Browns, which I... I think, yeah, they're the kind of the good on paper, never seem to put together team. But I do think I've talked about this. Jim Schwartz coming in as defensive coordinator is going to help. I like the Smith signing. They have so many talented players who just can't seem to put it together consistently. But I I think Miles Garrett is the best pass rusher in the NFL. So, wow. I don't know. Wow. That's Um, saying a a lot. 
It's him or Parsons for me. I can't argue against it, though. That's the thing with Miles Garrett. I cannot argue against it. He's always going to be in that conversation because he's so physically gifted, and the production is now starting to match the gifts that he's yeah. got. Like, it's, it's incredible. Uh, did you have any other teams just outside that you want to give an honorable mention shout out to? Oh, just outside on my top 10. Um, so I think you kind of covered some of the teams that I was talking about. Like New Orleans was there. Mm. Um, Cincinnati is another defense that yeah. they don't have stars, but just year over year, you see the production and then they end up being one of the top units. Um, I, I think they're a group. The best way to describe them would say is that the sum is greater than the individual parts. I think that's how they've done defense under Lou Anarumo. And so they've got some moving parts, um, especially in the back end of their defense guys stepping into more prominent roles. We'll see how that all works out, how they handle Jesse Bates departing in free agency. But, I mean, I just have a lot of confidence because of the scheme that those guys put in place but then also the culture that they have on that side of the ball. They just seem to always be able to figure out how to stop people. Especially at the end, like all these teams, a lot of these defenses you could point to with the Eagles, the Bills, you could say, how do they play against elite quarterbacks? But the Bengals defense plays elite better quarterbacks better than any defense in the end. I'd say them and the Ravens, frankly. Um, I'll also throw out one, two more that could make the leap into it. The, the Panthers are one to keep your eye on for me. Yep. And then – the Chiefs, I thought, were playing just such good football at the end of the year. They were so young. I, it, that's one I view them as an ascendant group too. So, yeah. <sighs> well, you know what? We actually ended up having a lot of the same defenses, so I feel a lot better. Maybe they were in a different order, but actually, if you look at the teams, I think it was like nine out of ten on both sides were the same. So, yeah, 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 we're pretty, pretty close, good. Venus. I'm, I'm hoping that your batting average uh, on this side of the ball <laughs> is better than, than it was last yeah. year. Awesome. Well, that it, Chris Canty, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. This was fantastic. Um, guys, check out his radio show. I don't know I come on too, so you can check out yeah. me on it. Um, and of course, check out Chris on ESPN on all of our shows. Thanks so much, bud. Thanks, Mina. <laughs>